0: Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today.
2: You're listening to the Writer Than You podcast.
1: All right, good morning. Welcome into the show. Bill Ryder with you. Thank you for listening wherever you are in this beautiful country. We appreciate you here at CBS Sports Radio, whether you're listening on the Odyssey app, which is free and also has the podcast and a bunch of other great stuff, or whatever affiliate is uh, graciously carrying us. Thanks for being here. About 15 minutes from now, we're going to visit with Clark Hunt who? Just full disclosure. I really like the guy. I really, and I don't know that many. I guess I know some NBA owners. I don't know that many owners, and he's the only NFL owner that I that I know. And I look, we're not best friends. I don't have his phone. I'm not golfing with him. But I, I wrote a pretty comprehensive story about him 15 years ago, just before his father passed away, which is obviously a seminal moment for any person. And I found him to be really interesting and really smart and really insightful. And I'm I'm looking forward to having a conversation about the mistakes that he's made, and obviously the things he's done right. They've won a couple of Super Bowls in being the the steward of that team. That is in 15 minutes. We are very excited about it. That that's coming up. Aaron Rodgers went on yet another podcast and talked about the where he's at post Darkness Retreat. I'm gonna try really hard to bring back my snarkiness because I do find the Darkness Retreat to be silly. But maybe I'm just dumb. Maybe I'm living in the light too much. I'm really like I don't know. Maybe it's amazing. He had some interesting things to say. It's a long—it's a sort of a long—Tom we, we, found a really good bit. We'll do that at the end of the hour. Uh, so we've got a lot going on. If you want to call, though, we always invite you to. We love having you on the show. Your voice, your perspective, wherever you're call, calling from, 855 cbs Twitter Sports, Writer Sports, R-E-I-T-E-R. Uh, I wrote a story uh, for CBSSports.com, and my my role as the, as the lead NBA insider over there. And it's gotten some reaction. It's gotten some people talking. And so we're going to take this opportunity, since, since Clark Hunt's coming up in a few minutes, to do a uh, top-of-the-hour Basket Bill. Bill Ryder has the NBA takes you need to hear. This
2: is Basket
1: Bill. All right, here's the gist. Here's the deal. If you missed this last night, and I don't blame you, it wasn't a great game. Last night, Quinn Snyder debuted as the head coach of the Atlanta Hawks against a, a Wizards team that's not the most formidable in the world. Did, they didn't win that game either. Atlanta did not win that game. It's unusual. It's not the end of the world. It's not the sky is falling. But it's not a typical situation for an NBA job that comes open in the middle of the season because someone's been fired. Nate McMillan was fired. For for a team to land the coach they want a week later and for the guy to start in the middle of the season. In this case, what? Two-thirds of the way into the season. We've got 20 games left. Three-fourths of the way into the season, it's strange. It's not a normal process, and made a bunch of calls, talked to a bunch of people. Here are the reasons: this, is the sort of the gossip, the whispers, the perspective out there is that there's a couple things going on why Quinn Snyder would take this job right now. Why not just wait to the summer? Certainly, some sources said money. Certainly, I mean, I had to sort of withhold my, my rolling of the eyes. There were some folks who suggested the love of the game. Certainly, the guy, Quinn Snyder, hasn't coached since he left Utah through mutual agreement. Remember, Danny Ainge took over last summer is when is when Snyder went away. And I'm a big Quinn Snyder fan, by the way. I covered him to a degree when he was at Missouri, and I was at the Kansas City Star at the same time when I got to know Clark Hunt. He got hired when I was in college at Mizzou. I, I know Quinn a little bit. I mean, he probably man, he probably remembers me. I, like, I think he's a great guy, and more importantly, I think he's an excellent coach and is a great hire. Here are the two reasons, and they're interesting and they're important, and they speak to the drama and the d- potential dysfunction in, in Atlanta. Here are the two reasons that Quinn took the job now. Because everything that's happening in Atlanta that, that, that really matters and is really important is happening off the court. It's two things. It's twofold. It's the drama in the locker room, and it's the drama in the front office. Let's start with the locker room drama. This shouldn't be a secret. I don't understand why people are responding on Twitter as if it's shocking that I am saying and reporting that Trey Young has been problematic for that organization. This is not a secret in the NBA. Many of his teammates don't like him. As I understand it, it's a huge chunk of his teammates who do not like him. And lest you think, like many people are accusing me of making this stuff up, remember, other outlets who cover the team every day reported that the dude, Trey Young, last year in a playoff game, just no-showed the team playing, just took his own flight home. You're not supposed to do that. If you missed his fairly aggressive interaction with a radio host this week in Atlanta, and I won't read it or repeat the language, Trey Young basically called out a radio host for what was mild criticism in a pretty aggressive, sensitive, diva-ish, thin-skinned kind of way. There's an issue with Trey Young. Quinn Snyder, among his many attributes, is regarded as an outstanding manager of people, of players. The guy is really good at building, as I understand it, interpersonal relationships with his guys. That's going to be critical here. And if you're Quinn Snyder, and you know, and I I have no doubt, I know for a fact that he does, if you know that Trey Young is an issue... And that Trey Young's leadership is an issue. And that Trey Young's lack of maturity, or at least the view within that locker room that he has a lack of maturity, is an issue. An extra 21 games this year is really, really important to trying to reach Trey and connect with Trey and reintegrate Trey in the right way as quickly as possible. This is time that matters. And don't, don't, and I saw some of this, don't fall for the I saw Trey high-fiving the guys the other day. A, that happens sometimes in basketball. Having you played sports, even with guys you hate, it's part of the deal. I played double with a guy that I hate The uh, hate strong, don't like the other day. He had a nice shot. I gave him a high five. Trust me, we're not exchanging Christmas cards. There's also a honeymoon period that when, when a coach gets fired, especially a guy like Quinn Snyder comes in where everyone's feeling good. It's the long-term Quinn's got to figure out with Trey Young and the issues Trey Young certainly has in that organization. Part of the reason he come in early. There's also the fact that Quinn Snyder's going to have to evaluate... And I think is evaluating whether or not Trey Young should be part of, of Quinn's future. Quinn signed a five year deal, and he's gonna figure out as quickly as possible, and again, these twenty-one games then come into play, they're significantly important, to evaluating whether or not Quinn Snyder, the coach, wants Trey Young the superstar, to be the person that they build around, that they trust. Because if you're not going to want Trey Young, if you're gonna move on from Trey Young, two things need to happen. Or maybe three. You gotta evaluate it, which is part of the reason that Quinn's there. You would much rather move him on in the summertime where there you can find more teams you can do deals with because there's not the angst and the pressure of whatever, wherever you're at in the season. But I think most importantly, it brings us to the second part of why Quinn Snyder's in this job. And again, this is all put laid out in a, in a story that I did over at CBSSports.com. It's on Twitter if you follow me, sportswriter, Sports R-E-I-T-E-R. And that is the dysfunctional politics that are going on in the front office. It's a mess. It's a mess. Tony Ressler is the owner of atlanta i don't know him atlanta hawks as i understand it he's smart i mean he would be he's worth i think six or seven billion dollars he is hyper aggressive hyper aggressive and ambitious in winning and he expects his team to do that it's part of the reason they fired a coach that they just gave a deal to a couple years ago it's part of the reason they shoved aside as i understand it i mean they have shoved aside um what's travis schlenk the the former president of basketball operations but as I understand it, they just paid him out. He had they had just given him a long contract extension not that long ago. Just gave him all the money. Please go away, because Wrestler wants to win. Wrestler's son, Nick Wrestler, is 27, and the Athletic reported that he is intimately involved around the offices. Extremely important. All right. So in this context, you've got Travis Lank shoved aside. You have his top deputy in the front office, Landry Fields, promoted to general manager, and then Kyle Corver, also like Landry, a former player, promoted to assistant general manager. Everyone in that organization, sources tell me, is terrified of what the wrestlers want. It's like you have a boss and he's really involved, but you don't know what he, what, what, what he wants you to do. And, and to speak to some of the dysfunction, I'm told, and I believe it, from multiple people, that Landry feels the GM did not want Quinn Snyder. That it was Kyle Corver who wanted Quinn Snyder, and the speculation and, and thinking within and without that organization goes Corver was able to manage Nick Wrestler, the 27 year old owner's son, to get Quinn in sort of use going around Landry, and that Landry, seeing what happened to Travis Schlenk, his boss like, cool, I'm not going to argue. Sounds great. I'm just kidding. I love Quinn. What does this have to do with Quinn Snyder? Quinn Snyder, in part, left Utah because he wanted a much stronger voice. He wasn't going to have that with Danny Ainge. I believe him when he says he and Danny are in a good place. Danny Ainge is the voice. Quinn recognizes, I understand it, that there is a chaotic, very chaotic Game of Thrones-like atmosphere, In that front office. But as Game of Thrones said, chaos is a ladder. It's an opportunity. And if Quinn gets in now and he can manage the wrestlers properly, he can figure out what he wants. He can also navigate the politics early enough to have the voice. Because that's being decided now. To have the loudest voice in the room. To have the power to move on from Trey or not move on from Trey. Quinn Snyder's in that job to evaluate Trey Young and to try and manage the situation to be the most powerful voice in an organization that hasn't established that yet. That's why he's there. That's the reality. It's not a shot at any of these folks. We all have jobs like that sometimes. That's why he's there. All right.
3: And that was Bass
1: Kid Bill. All right, eight five five two one two four CBS. I'm really excited. This is gonna be really cool. Um, I don't think I've talked to Clark Hunnethan hello at the Super Bowl in years, but I really enjoyed the story I did on him. Ten or fifteen years ago, we're going to visit with the Chiefs' owner about living under the legacy and the shadow of his father, the pressure of trying to turn the Chiefs into a winning team, and I'm, imagine the adulation of how well it's gone. Lessons learned from Clark Hunt, the co-owner of the Chiefs, chairman, CEO. Next year on CBS Sports Radio. Okay,
0: picture this: it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today.
1: You're listening to the Writer Than You podcast. All right, welcome back into the show, Bill Ryder, with you here on CBS Sports Radio. Thank you for listening. Appreciate you being here. Happy hump day. Are you still into hump day or are you you out of that? You grow out of that, Tom?
5: Oh, hump day is not something you grow out of. You're always into hump day once you're into it.
1: It's a lifetime kind of commitment.
5: It's a way of life.
1: Lifetime supply of uh, hump days. Is hump day for you a good thing or what is hump? What is hump time? What is the time on on Wednesday where you've crossed the threshold? Once and you're I going wake, downhill.
5: Once I wake up on Wednesday, waking up is the hardest part.
1: And what's the like part where you've hit the? Is it like when you get like when you clock out? That's when you start to sort of go downhill. At yeah. The top of the hump. Yeah, I think once I leave the office on okay. Wednesday. Happy hump day, America. Do you know who's also on their hump day? Clark Hunt. He is. Uh, he's the part owner, by the way, along with his siblings. He is the chairman and CEO, so he is the principal person running the Chiefs' day to day. He's also a very successful business person, so it's his hump day as well, and he's going to join us here in a few minutes. And it goes without saying, I think, but it's worth noting again as we as we wait for as we wait for Clark Hunt, we talk about GMs, and we should. I just did with the Atlanta Atlanta Hawks. We talk about head coaches. Andy Reid's really important. We talk about quarterbacks. We talk about superstar players. Everything, I think, begins and ends with ownership. Everything. The difference in your organization from the competitors is often, and certainly I think absolutely in the long run, going to come down to who owns your team. Dan Snyder's teams are going to have one reality. Steve Ballmer's are going to have another. Steve Cohns, or, and I know that Andrew Bogish, birthday boy Bogish from a few days ago, thinks we're, we're hard on the Mets owner. I think he's an amazing owner. I would love him to be the owner. I'm a Cubs fan. I'd love him to own my team. I got no issue with, with, with the owner of the Mets. That guy wants to win. The Rooney family back in the NFL. I think Jeannie Buss, actually Jeannie Buss is a really interesting comparison for, for Clark Hunt because Jeannie is not that many years into being the principal owner. We'll talk to Clark about this here in a minute. How long it, it's just like anything else. Think about being the owner of an NFL team. It's not like you spend your life—I mean, you do to a degree, maybe, but one day you're not, and one day you are. Head coaches have some time, they're assistants, they have other jobs. When you're the owner of a franchise, you get you get one opportunity, when that opportunity comes. And it's a huge trust, and I thought it was 10 years ago that I wrote this story about, about the Chiefs owner. It was actually—it's crazy how time goes by, because I was telling my wife, Lori, how much I enjoyed this story I wrote on Clark Hunt 10 years ago— when he was becoming the owner, and it's co-owner, it's 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 part owner, it's chairman, it's CEO. But he runs the Chiefs day to day. And I just looked, and it's 17 years ago. That's what happens when you get old. In fact, I'm told now he's here with us now. Uh, Clark Hunt, the the gentleman who for his family, is the chairman and CEO of the Kansas City Chiefs. It's good to talk to you again, man, and thanks for being on the
2: show. Yeah, absolutely. It's my pleasure to be on with you today.
1: So... Let's start here. Congratulations on a, on a second Super Bowl. Is the second one sweeter than the first, or what's the difference? How does how's how's this one feel?
2: Uh, you know, it's interesting. I had a lot of people ask me about the difference uh, in the two Super Bowls as we were leading up to the game. And they were different, but also uniquely special. Uh, the first one came at the end of a 50-year drought uh, where the Chiefs hadn't even been back to the Super Bowl and uh, to win that one after five decades was so special for our family and the organization. Uh, This year's was special in its own right, in part because of the disappointment of the last two years. Uh, We lost uh, Super Bowl 55 in Tampa a couple years ago and then failed to get back to the game last year against Cincinnati in the AFC Championship game. Uh, So I think really the team and the coaching staff and everybody in the organization had a little bit of a chip on their shoulder and so getting back and winning it was very special. Uh,
1: Clark Hunt, the chairman and CEO of the Kansas City Chiefs here, here on, on the show. Clark, I was just saying to the audience that 17, I can't believe it was 17 years ago, um, I spent some time with you in Kansas City. I spent some time with you in Dallas when I was a reporter at the Kansas City Star and wrote about your transition to this role as the person that runs as that runs the Chiefs. And we were just discussing how important ownership is for, for team success or failure and culture. How long did it take you, in retrospect, to get good, to be good at the job of running the Kansas City Chiefs?
2: Well, I, I'm not sure you ever really arrive at that destination. Um, like many jobs, it's always a learning experience, and you're always trying to get better. Uh, certainly along the way, you, you learn a lot of things, <clears throat> and you learn from your mistakes. Um, and and certainly my first few years, you know, things didn't go well for the Chiefs. We were coming... When I took over the team, we were coming uh, off a period where we had not drafted very well. And that ended up impacting the franchise. And that was one of the lessons I learned was how important building through the draft was for the team. Uh, So I I don't know that I'm good at my job yet, but uh, I'm striving on a daily basis to to try to get better. Clark,
1: because I, I lived in Kansas City for so long and my kids were born there, I have a lot of friends from there. I promised they would tell me if they thought you weren't good at your job. It's a different—I me- don't know what the message was 15 years ago. It's a very <laughs> positive message uh, these days. Clark, here on, here on the show, obviously in retrospect, you guys have had massive success, and your decision to hire Andy Reid um, worked out beautifully. And if I get some of these details wrong, please just correct me and remind me. But that wasn't necessarily—it wasn't a guarantee when when that decision happened many years ago. And in my memory, if I remember this right, Clark, because I just transitioned out of writing about the Chiefs quite a bit to doing other things and leaving, I think, Kansas City, Scott Pioli, who was once your GM, was still the GM when you interviewed Andy, and then you eventually made the decision to hire Andy Reid. And if I remember right, also part ways after the fact or around that time with Scott Pioli. Now, it worked out. But I remember, my memory of that is people not being sure, and there's always doubt in sports, and he obviously had had success with the Eagles but hadn't won anything. In retrospect, in trying to overhaul that, that organization's culture and the draft process you noted, how did you know or what did you see to take the leap of faith in hiring Andy Reid that today looks so certain, but back then I think I would argue was, was a question mark?
2: Yeah, you're exactly right. Um, If you go back 10 years ago, there were a lot of questions about whether Andy Reid needed to take some time away from football. He'd had a difficult two years in Philadelphia. Um, He'd had some family issues, um, a tragedy in his family, and a lot of people thought it would be best for him to take some time away uh, from the game. That was one of the things that I was really focused on in my interview with him, and it was very clear after 15 minutes that uh, he was dying to get back into the game. He didn't want to take you know time away. And I really could feel the energy uh, that he still had and would bring to um, our coaching staff and to our players. And so that all really came across in that, that interview. <clears throat> and you're right about Scott also. Uh, Scott was still the still general manager at, the, at that time. Um, Andy and I uh, talked about Scott. Andy was a big fan of Scott's. But He just felt that uh, where we were as a franchise would be good to make a clean break. Um, I also had committed to making an organizational change in the structure. Historically, um, for the Chiefs, the owner would hire the general manager and the general manager would hire the coach. And I committed in going into that 2013 season to change the structure uh, where both the general manager and head coach would report directly to me. Um, so that that was a change, um, and it really just was best for for Scott at that time time to move on, and it ended up working out both for him as well as for the organization.
1: Chiefs Chairman CEO and part owner part owner uh, Clark Hunt here on here on on CBS Sports Radio. I'm I'm a bill Ryder on Rider than you, um, Clark. When I was interviewing you, if I remember the, the details properly. And I was able to spend some time with you. It was right at the time when when your father was sick and and he shortly thereafter, and I think before that story ran passed away. Obviously, your dad was a mammoth figure in in football and in sports and in business. Um, that's a that's a I'm sure a, a huge opportunity for someone to learn from, and I know that can often be a, a big shadow to to be under when you look back at your dad and his influence on you. What were the difficulties, if there were any, in being Lamar Hunt's son? In terms of being an owner, and what are the things that that he gave to you that have been the most helpful in running this team?
2: Yeah, well, he was certainly a very, very special person. Um, And he was also an amazing uh, figure in the context of professional sports, not only football in the United States, but soccer, basketball, and tennis. Um, He he was involved in all those sports, and he's in – uh, three of the Hall of Fames of those four sports, which which is amazing. He was really a, a visionary, um, somebody who brought a lot of innovation to the game, um, had brought the, the Chiefs to Kansas City in 1963 and was very, very well respected. And clearly, those were big shoes to fill um, when when I stepped into the role. But I really committed myself to being my own person <clears throat> and trying to, to do the job the, the best way that I, I saw fit. Um, I did learn a lot of things uh, from my dad. And probably the most important thing I learned from him was the game is really about the fans. A lot of times we we think the game is about the ownership, the game is about the coaching staff or the players. Those are all obviously very important uh, to the success of the franchise. But the only reason that any of us who are involved in the sport get to do it is because of the fans. And if you'll just remember that, let that be a, a guiding principle. You're going to make a lot of good decisions.
1: How do you keep in touch with that? Are, are you reading media coverage? Like, obviously, when you own an NFL team, you are a very busy person, and you sit in a perch of of, of real power and real influence. How does one stay connected with the fans in this case of the Kansas City Chiefs?
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, you mentioned the media, and the media is actually one of the the challenges uh, of the position. Um, but, you know, it was probably the biggest challenge for me coming into the role. I had seen the media spotlight on my dad for many years and how he handled that, and he always handled it with respect and humility. But when that that media spotlight is all of a sudden on you and there's pressure to make uh, decisions and make changes, it's very difficult. I really think the best way to stay connected with the fans is to spend time with them, and it's something I love doing uh, both at training camp and then also throughout the season um, I'll go out in the parking lot and tailgate with our fans before the game. Uh, that was something that my dad loved doing, and I used to do it with him. And I've continued the, tr- the tradition, and, of course, it's one of the best parts of attending a game in Kansas City. Uh,
1: Clark Hunt here on here on the show, the, the chairman, CEO, and part owner of the Super Bowl Championship Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, Clark, we, we didn't see a neutral site conference championship game this year, but we could have. That was obviously a possibility with how some of the games could have gone. That was something your dad if memory serves, advocated for, and you, 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 you talked about him as a visionary, something he saw as a possibility. How do you feel about the idea of a, of a neutral site conference championship game down the line for the NFL?
2: Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. that, that discussion uh, was rekindled by what happened this year with the, the Buffalo and uh, Cincinnati game having to be canceled. And uh, it could have happened, it didn't happen. And I'll say I definitely bring a biased perspective Uh, to the conversation, uh, notwithstanding the fact that my dad was a proponent of the idea. uh, We've been blessed to host five straight AFC Championship games in Kansas City, and I've seen firsthand the power of those games and how our fans embrace that moment. And the the three times that we've won the, the AFC Championship and received the Lamar Hunt Trophy, Getting to do that in front of our fans is so special. Uh, so it's it's one of the few things where where I have a different perspective than my dad. I, I think letting the the team that earns it uh, get to host that game makes the most sense.
1: I, uh, Clark Hunt here on here on the show. So so Clark, my my kids, um, my daughter Madeline is thirteen, my son Henry is ten. They were born in Kansas City and they know that. And we have Lori, my wife, and I have roots there and we love the city. But my son, who's ten now, left when he was one. And yet this morning when I went to kiss him goodbye on my way to radio, he still had his Patrick Mahomes jersey on. A jersey I promise you we cannot get off his back. I don't think it's been washed in three weeks. I apologize to his teachers. It's it's amazing the impact. I mean you know this. Mahomes isn't just a remarkable talent. He is in many ways the Michael Jordan of, of American sports, maybe all sports right now. I know it's a little bit of both, but if you had to if you had to be honest, in in, in landing Patrick Mahomes and the massive talent that he is, and it seems like the, the human being that he is. Would you chalk that up more to the organizational and recruiting and scouting excellence of your team, which I'm not doubting, or does that level of greatness also just come come down to luck? Which one is the, is the bigger factor in that kind of a generational talent, obviously being at the forefront of all the success you guys have had in Kansas City?
2: Yeah, well, I, I think I would certainly give the credit uh, to our general manager, Brett Veach, uh, and his staff. And uh, Brett... I uh, was uh, in charge of our scouting department when we drafted uh, Patrick, and he got on Patrick uh, as a top prospect the year before and pestered Andy about him almost on a daily basis, where Andy finally got to the point, I've seen enough tape, I get it, I get it. And um, <clears throat> um, he he worked with our GM at the time, John Dorsey, the engineer trade where we moved from the 27th position to the 10th to take him. We knew there were teams in the 11th, 12th, and 13th picks in the draft who who might have wanted him, and so it, it was it was a major organizational win uh, to be able to do that. Um, Brett, when he was asked uh, shortly after we drafted Patrick Mahomes, you know what he thought about him. Brett said, "I think he's the best football player I've ever seen," and <clears throat> that struck me as a very strong statement, but it also told you exactly what he thought about it. Um, so Brett knew, knew exactly how great he was going to be, and I think Andy was excited about the opportunity to work with a player who ha- had the talent level that, that Patrick does and what he could do with that in his, his offense. Um, there are a lot of things about Patrick that make him special that go beyond his, his playing ability. Um, he's a tremendous leader. Um, he, he's really an outspan- outstanding person, a great spokesperson for, for the franchise, he cares about the community. He gives back to the community. He treats people with respect. I mean, he's really the entire package. So we're very, very fortunate to have him.
1: Clark Hunt here on the show. I mean, that's high praise. And and I don't know if you knew Therese, but one of my great friends, the late, great Therese Paler, who who covered the Chiefs for a long time, I remember Clark on the reporting side. I mean, Cl- Therese did not give in to hyperbole ever. And, and he told me that he was going to be one of the great quarterbacks of all time. Based on what you've seen, is it reasonable to start having the conversation about Patrick Mahomes perhaps being the best quarterback of all time when his career ends?
2: Well, I, I think that the, the best of all time is a really you know tough thing to to assess um, because you know as, as the game progresses and you go from generations, the the, the game changes, um, and there have been incredible quarterbacks you know going back you know fifty sixty plus years in the National Football League. I do believe that he will be considered one of the greatest uh, of all time. And perhaps maybe the most entertaining quarterback to ever play the game. Uh, his, his style of football is really special, and I enjoy traveling around the country and running into people. And they may or may not be Chiefs fans, but one thing they always tell me is is that I have to watch the Chiefs games every weekend because I, I want to see what Mahomes is going to do this week.
1: That is so true, Clark Hunt. Here on the show, Clark, I know as it relates to the news surrounding Commanders owner Dan Snyder, you can't get into details, and so, but it's obviously it is in the news. For you and for the owners that you talk to, in general terms, but that is the context of this question, what is the line at which you would be willing to move aggressively to remove an owner or or to at least be very, very aggressive with an owner if you felt like at some point that owner was jeopardizing the brand of or the business interests of the National Football League?
2: Yeah. Yeah, It's not something that we've talked about. Uh, as an ownership group. Um, as you're probably aware, uh, the Snyders have, have hired an investment bank to, to look at potentially selling the team. We're not sure where that process is going to sort out. Um, I'm chairman of the finance committee, so at some point that transaction, if it's going to happen, is going to come through the finance committee. Um, we're just going to have to really see how things play out, you know, here over the the next few months. And, uh as I said, we really haven't had any dis- discussions about uh, you know whether it would be appropriate to remove uh, Dan or any owner in the National Football Football League in the tenure that I've been involved with the league.
1: Clark, if I can circle back a little bit to your success and the decision you made on, on Andy Reid and Scott Pioli, and, and just separating, as you noted, the the infrastructure for for the Chiefs. What is how, if you were giving advice or just explaining? How do you, as the, as the decision-maker, you are the final decision-maker for, for a team in the National Football League. How do you walk that line between giving a GM or a head coach ample time, because we are a win-now society, and, and sort of overriding the outside, no, outside noise that can get pretty loud from people like me, versus wasting your time if, if perhaps you have hired the wrong person as an owner of any of these major sports in the country?
2: I think it's one of the most uh, difficult decisions that that an owner has to make um, because I do believe that it takes time for a new coach, a new general manager uh, to build his program. Uh, And realistically, that can be three or four years. Um, In the the world that we live in today with social media, um, it's very, very hard to give a coach or GM that much time. Um, but if you really want to make a proper evaluation, you, you need to give them as much time as you possibly can. And ultimately it ends up being a, a judgment call as to whether, you know, you're, you're headed in the right direction. You know, it's awfully hard for even a very good coach to win in the National Football League without a talented quarterback. And so if, you, if you've got a great coach but you don't have the quarterback, you know, do you fire the coach because the team's not being successful? You know, that, that's a tough call to make.
1: Uh, Clark Hunt, you are the part owner, chairman, CEO of of, um, the Chiefs, among many other duties that you have. I know you're busy, and so last question for you uh, here on on, on CBS Sports Radio. And thank you again for, for being on. The next time a new owner comes into the NFL, or if a new owner of any sports franchise called you and just asked for a single, the best piece of advice you could give a new NFL owner or new major sports owner about running a team, after the years that you've had in charge of the Chiefs, what would that piece of advice be?
2: I would tell them that uh, the sports business is the ultimate uh, people business. Um, Your your assets are are really your employees. And hiring the right leadership is the key to to success. And that's not only your head coach and your general manager, but it's uh, the president of your organization. Um, I haven't mentioned him, but we have a great president of the Chiefs in Kansas City, Mark Donovan. Uh, He does a fantastic job. And he's as much a part of the success that we've had as Andy Reid and Brett Veach. Uh,
1: Clark Hunt, I had a pleasure. I can't believe it was 17 years ago. I really enjoyed Mm. getting to know you 17 years ago. And, oh, my God, 20 years later, I really enjoyed talking on the radio. Congrats for all your success. Uh, On behalf of Kansas City, on behalf of all my friends there, I know they would want me to say thank you for the success you brought to the town. and, And thanks for making time on the show. You didn't have to do it. It was very cool and very
2: gracious of you. Yeah, happy to be on with you today. Thanks, Bill.
1: Thank you, Clark. Clark Hunt. Uh, he is the he's the part owner, chairman, CEO. He's the he's the guy that runs the Kansas City Chiefs, and he's gone. So I, he's not listening. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm not just saying this. The guy is a really good owner, and that wasn't and that was not a certainty when when he um when he came in to that job. I think it was a likelihood, right? He was he is was Lamar Hunt's son, and Lamar Hunt is one of the most important I think figures in American sports history. Certainly from an ownership perspective, absolutely is. But you never know, and, and, and Clark's done a hell of a job, and that's interesting, Tom, that I didn't know that, that they have not, Clark says, discussed the Dan Snyder situation in that context at all.
5: That goes against some of the reporting that we've seen this week that they have discussed that and that they were close to maybe taking this thing to a vote.
1: Yeah. I mean, look, I probably shouldn't have asked him whether they got lucky with Patrick Mahomes, but but I just, you know what I'm saying? Like, I know they're great, but nobody saw that one coming.
5: <laughs> nobody did.
1: He's Michael Jordan. Uh, really appreciate, really appreciate Clark Hunt making um, making some time. That was cool. All right, uh, we're, we're gonna summarize a little bit of that interview because I think there were some things in there worth talking about, and we're gonna try to give Aaron Rodgers, because you know, he needs more airtime, an opportunity to talk about what he thinks, what he feels, what he knows now that he's out of his darkness retreat, all that coming up here on the show to close out Rider Than You after we get a CBS Sports radio update from Andrew Boat. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast
5: of all
3: time?
2: You're listening to the Writer Than You podcast.
1: All right, welcome back into the show. Bill Ryder with you here on CBS Sports Radio. Really enjoyed having Clark on. Those are salad days. I mean, he obviously probably was never eating salad, as the expression goes. But, you know, you know what I, mean? I mean, he eats salads. But I think, doesn't the expression mean like when you had no money? Isn't that what that's kind of about? All right. I botched that entire joke and transition. What's up? Let's do it again. It's Bill Ryder, CBS Sports Radio. I really liked having Clark Con on the show. Appreciate and he he was pretty nice about about Scott Pioli. But he just Andy Reid came in and Scott Pioli went away. And the Chiefs I is that right five consecutive AFC championship games? That is unbelievable how good they have been under Andy Reid. And obviously Patrick Mahomes. Uh, Clark Hunt, part owner. Lead owner is not what they like to say, I think, probably. But he's the chairman, he's the CEO, he's the part of the ownership group of the Hunt family who runs the Chiefs, who is the final decision maker. Really, really appreciate uh, his time. Uh, Aaron Rodgers, speaking of the National Football League, as you probably know, needs to figure out whether he wants to be a Packer next year, whether he wants to force a trade somewhere else. And he had let us know he was going to do a darkness retreat where he would literally go into darkness for several days and then come out with the answers. Uh, Whether he has the answers or not, sounds like it remains to be seen, but on the Aubrey Marcus podcast, who's that sounds like a friend of Aaron Rodgers as well as a sort of nutritionist leadership guru guy uh, on that podcast, Aaron Rodgers was pretty verbose. And I think fairly interesting about where he's at right now.
3: It's best for anybody who has an interest in this to make a decision sooner rather than later. You know, I remember, you know, when farv uh, before he retired, you know, there were times where he it was in April and May, and he still, you know, we weren't sure if he was going to come back because he didn't come to any off season program, and and then in two thousand eight, he actually did retire in March, and then kind of said, no, 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 actually in June, after OTAs, I actually want to come back and play, and then that's when, you know, been traded to the Jets, and you know, there was obviously a lot of tension that summer, but um, for. For everybody involved directly and indirectly, it's best for a decision earlier. And I feel, I feel really good about um, about the conversations that um, that are going to be had that have been had with uh, important people in my life, yourself included, that um, help to orient me. But I'm not looking for somebody to tell me what the answer is. Uh, all the answers are right inside me, and I I touched uh, many of them. And definitely the feelings uh, on both sides during the darkness. And I'm thankful for that time. But, um, you know, it's a very, uh, there's a finality to the decision. Mm-hmm. And I don't make it lightly. I don't want to drag anybody around. Look, I'm answering questions about it because I get asked about it. Um, I'm talking about it because it's important to me. If you don't like it and you think it's drama, think I'm being a diva or whatever, then just tune it out. Mm-hmm. It's fine. hmm but this is my life. It's important to me. And I'll make a decision soon enough, and, and we'll go down that road and be really excited about it.
1: All right, so so I don't want to speak for you, Tom, but your reaction was you thought his – because his speech pattern seems a little different. You thought he was being haughty and sort of, uh, I'm so smart, right? Guy with the pipe, right?
5: I'm so intellectual. I'm a philosophizer or whatever. The- philosophizer. <laughs> Uh, He went on this retreat to go find himself, to go find this decision. Great. Go for it. You don't have to rub it in our face how smart you think you are afterwards.
1: It's a good theory. It may be the right theory. Can I just tell you my reaction to it? Please, absolutely. I'm guessing. I don't know. I could be wrong. It sounds to me like the darkness broke him emotionally. That's what I heard. He's talking slower and haltingly. Uh, maybe I'm wrong, but it sounds like a guy who two days into the darkness retreat was was thinking I should not have done this. But because you can you imagine if he had left the darkness retreat early? Just like I couldn't, I can't take it. I'll have to retreat from the darkness retreat.
5: <laughs> but I mean, like, did you get any sense listening to that that he knows whether he wants to be in Green Bay, go somewhere else, wants to retire? Like I got no sense. He said that was almost a two minute clip. Talking about when he's going to make this decision and what it's going to be. I got no sense of
1: anything from that. He doesn't know. know, I don't think he got what he thought he was out of the. We know what he got. He got darkness, fear, maybe. (laughs) I. Look, I do think it's interesting, and I do think it's impressive. I hope that it's accurate that he's so aware in his own experience with what it must have been like to wait on Brett Favre, and Brett Favre changed I mean When Brett Favre did that, and people and the, and the Packers made the decision, no, we're going with this Aaron Rodgers kid. I mean, Aaron Rodgers had played well in very small stints, but the general view in Green Bay, people were kind of over Brett, but the general view was, who knows, that Aaron Rodgers got. I mean, Brett Favre was one of the best QBs of all time at that point. And the pressure, and it's amazing what Favre accomplished given that, or what excuse me Rogers accomplished given that pressure. The pressure must have felt so unfair. So it's it's nice to hear that he's aware that he should make a decision well before the Brett Favre timeline of self. You know, I would argue that was fairly self-involved, which happens, but it's hard in a team sport if you can't if you can't get it under control. I I don't know, man. I think he sounded he, his he sounded to me in such a way that I already would never do a darkness retreat, but now I'm sure.
5: So you think he got more than he bargained for with this darkness retreat?
1: <laughs> I mean, what happens in it? What do you... I mean, even if you hallucinate, you're in the dark. I mean, I don't even know... What's the longest you've ever spent, spent in the pitch black? I, don't, I can't even think of an example for myself.
5: I don't know. when, it like a bad storm and you lose power? But it's not even like you have a flashlight, you have a candle, you have There's something. There's a moon. You have something.
1: There's stars. There was, this, there was this big thing that was all the rage. And when Lori and I lived in New York, it was, we almost went a few times. It just didn't. And I don't, know, I don't know if they still have it where you would go to a nice restaurant but they would blindfold you and then take you into an entirely, you don't know about this, dark restaurant, take your blindfold off. You would eat food entirely in the dark.
5: I would miss my
1: mouth. They would bring it to you, and I don't know how the whole process worked. Oh, yeah, Google it. And I just remember thinking, like, oh, that's so cool, and then we didn't get the reservation. And I remember thinking later, what was I thinking?
5: I would have stains all over my clothes.
1: To be fair, I already do that in the light. It can't. <laughs> I spill on my, I'm a child when it comes to my, I don't know what's wrong with me. I actually like wearing white shirt. I have two really nice button-down white shirts that I use for for TV that I've worn four times. Because it doesn't matter. I can go straight, I can put it on. I have a camera set up in my house, so like if I'm at, if I do the home studio, I can go straight there, put it on, walk straight to the camera. There's nothing around me. I sit down. Blah blah Kevin Durant, which will happen at four fifteen Eastern time today on CBS CBS HQ Spotlight on CBS Sports Network. Blah blah Kevin Durant. Blah blah Quinn Snyder. Blah blah Landry Fields. And then I look down. There's like a there's a black smudge. I don't know where it came from. <laughs> or there's coffee or something. Like I ate it six days ago and it transported through time onto my shirt.
5: Can't be trusted with the white button-down shirt.
1: Hell no. You see what I'm wearing right now? This this brown shirt? It's got five stains on it. You can't even see, sort of. That's cool having Clark on. I, 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 enjoy, I enjoyed that conversation. What a different li- life that would be.
5: I like that he was just polite to me. There's no reason to be polite to me. Super, He's a super nice dude.
1: guy. He's a really nice dude. He's a quiet, introverted guy, in my memory. I mean, it's been a long time. But he was a pretty, like, introverted guy, which is an interesting place to be if you're the owner of a team and you have to be somewhat front-facing sometimes. You know? All right. Well, appreciate Clark Hunt's time. Appreciate Tom DeCelestino. Appreciate Andrew Bogish birthday boy as of like five days ago, but we hadn't got to hang out with him. Appreciate you listening wherever you are. Thanks for being here. I'm Bill Ryder. This show is Ryder Than You. and We'll see you back here tomorrow on CBS Sports Radio. Okay, picture this. It's Friday
0: afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild.
4: You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time?